I'm Nobilis Reed from the Nobilis Erotica podcast at nobilis.libson.com, and you're listening to The Melting Podcast. You're listening to The Melting Podcast, a writing variety show featuring a little of everything from everyone, everywhere. You have just entered the Disaster Kitchen. Welcome to episode 88 of The Melting Podcast. I'm your head chef, A.F. Grappen. And I'm your grill mistress, Erin Kazmark. And I liked that. Yeah, that was fun. That was fun. I enjoyed it. You are Lexicon of Sewers and Word Chefs. And we're glad you're here. Because we have all kinds of fun stuff for you today. Well, don't we always have fun well, stuff for them? Yeah, but we have more. We have this. We have new fun we stuff. We have new fun stuff. Hope so. Well, I'm always telling them to send it to us, so I, I better like it. And people have. I know it's been great. Yeah, like you know, a couple of stoke the fire stories <sighs> that you know these authors are gonna get paid for. Yes. Yeah. That was a really weird noise that just came out of me. I know. It was fun. Still better than the last noise that came out of me. Yeah. Don't do that again. Yeah. So these are based off of prompt number twenty. The forecast calls for heavy snow. But what's falling from the sky is not snow. It's not snow. It's not snow. It's not snow cotton. It's not snow cotton? Yeah. Cotton snow? No. Dodgeball! Wait, there's a ball? Ah! I I dodged. You couldn't see it because this is a podcast. You're special, you know that? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Never a doubt. Good. Okay, so anyway... Uh, stories, prompt, listen. Bon appetit. Like Falling Snow by Christopher Michael Snow. That was what every predictive model said. The next seven day was a solid sheet of white, according to the watchers. Feet and feet of the white, cold, wet, disgusting, farking stuff. Nissa shook her head in disgust while she slid into her coat. They hadn't been wrong. Last night had set a historic record for Lycos. As near as she could tell, they'd never gotten more than a foot since the first habitations had been built. Last night had brought nearly three. According to the Watchers, tonight was going to beat that. By the time the seven-day was over, they were talking about minimum measurements in the double digits. She refused to think about the maximums. She didn't like thinking about those numbers in combination with snow totals. She let herself into her transport and pushed a sequence of buttons. The one advantage her job with the planetary government had, even low-level as she was, was access to floaters instead of ground cars. Of course, that brought the downside that she was expected to be at work even on days when nobody who relied on ground transport could possibly make it. She shrugged as the floater door opened in the side of the building and ushered her into the early morning air. With a handful of deft and familiar keystrokes, she set the coordinates for the autopilot to take her to work via the most direct route and at the posted airspeeds 
and then she sat back. From the pocket of her coat, she pulled out the reader. She had plenty of time for a cup of hot calf and her morning news. Subsequently, she was paying no attention to the world outside her floater. That was why her only warning was the deafening collision alarm. She looked up just in time to die as her floater was shattered and slammed to the ground. There had been snow on the ground just an hour ago. Feet of it, with more on the way. It was gone now. Melted into steaming puddles by the objects that had torn through Lycos' atmosphere with the force of a wrathful deity. Sim snorted to himself. At times like this, he really wished he believed in a deity. He sighed heavily and began pulling the heavy gear from the cargo compartment in his grav truck. He may not have particularly loved snow, but he would have paid any number of creds to be dealing with that over the detritus clogging the planet now. Ground vehicles of all sorts. Floaters. Grav trucks. Buildings. Animals. People. He closed his eyes and breathed slowly. So very many people. Instead of the two feet of snow that should have been, there were now piles of corpses. Well, he amended silently. Corpse parts, anyway. Nothing and nobody had been in one piece once they reached the ground. Get a leg on, Sim! We got work, and you're burning daylight. The piercing voice came from his partner and professional pain-in-the-ass, Belson. She was half his height and had at least twice his energy. He grunted again, using the handle controls on the gear track to maneuver it over to where she had set up base. I'm not looking forward to this. Do the sky trackers even know what the cark happened? She shrugged setting her bright red braid bouncing. Not that they've let me know. Lark it, Sim, it's only been an hour. We don't even know how many trackers survived whatever this FARC was, let alone have any time data from them. He nodded, irritation plainly written on his face, and grunted. With an automatic manipulation of the handle controls, he allowed the heavy lift to clank to the ground. In seconds, he had the gear pulled from the storage canisters and organized around him. He knelt by one of the stands of sniffers, fingers flying across the controls. We on rescue or recovery today, boss? She glanced at the destruction around and sighed heavily. Go ahead and set the first batch for recovery. But set a heat range they can search for and give that priority if sensed. At least this way we can track if somebody accidentally didn't die. His gut clenched at the realization that she agreed with him. There wouldn't be anybody left alive. Nevertheless, he keyed in the instructions and the parameters and stood out of the way as every sniffer on the rack darted into the air. He checked his wrist chrono and nodded in silent frustration. It was going to be a long day and the watchers were still predicting abnormally heavy snowfall. 
He looked up just in time to see a flurry of something large, dark, and burning brighter than the fires of hell as it shredded through the atmosphere. He had just enough time to scream for Belson before the end came. Talk to me, Reyna. The woman speaking had been born on a high-grav world, and her body showed it. She was shorter and thicker than the average Lycosian, and her heavy-world musculature was clearly defined through her suit. What are we looking at? Raina stared out the window and sighed heavily. They predicted heavy snow. Nobody predicted this. Nobody could predict this. She turned to look her boss in the face. Honestly, Tursa, we don't know. Tursa pushed away from her desk with an irritated snort. What's that supposed to mean? Her voice wasn't angry. She sounded tired. Raina sighed again, pushing her hands through her tangled mane. They'd both been here since the first incident, and neither had been given time to do more than throw on clothes. What I said. We know what happened. We just don't know why or why nobody saw it coming. Tursa swore, inventively and at length. She glared at her subordinate in impotent fury. I hired you to make sure we know. You're the head sky tracker. It's your job to know. She inhaled deeply. I know, but there was no warning. She began to tick off her fingers. They weren't meteors. They were too big, and there are none nearby. The nearest asteroids are light years away. The nearest comet even further. She paused and took another steadying breath. This next was largely speculation, but she had to preface it with fact. We do know that if any of those were near us, we'd have it spotted and tagged. We also know that if any of those were to be caught by planetary gravity, it would enter at an angle. These came straight in. That can only mean one thing. The Lycosian president heaved a sigh and scratched at her neck. They were directed. She frowned slightly. Which means it was an attack. She focused on Reyna which means we're at war. Raina straightened. I'm afraid so, Madam President. The sudden formality startled Tursa. With a hard look at her Skywatcher director, she realized the truth. It was time for the Lycosian president to step up. Okay, so the war has arrived. Do we know who is responsible? Raina turned back to the window. The snow was falling again. It wasn't heavy yet, but it had that peculiar look and fall pattern that strongly indicated it would be again. That's going to be hard to find out and is going to take some time. It could be the UEF. They weren't thrilled with us for taking in that last batch of expats. And they have the tech to send ballistics out here. The president frowned vaguely remembering a report she'd read months ago. 
You were in communication with Terra not that long ago, right? I was. It's been a couple years, but I had to talk to a couple officials about immigration. We were between directors for that department, and I was doing double duty. Didn't they say there was a group settling on a planet relatively near us? Raina leaned against the wall, rubbing her palm across her chin in thought. They mentioned something about it. It was still in the planning stages then. It was an offshoot of the NAU, I think. As I recall, the group was a bit... Her sentence was cut short by a series of explosions that rocked the building. Both of them stumbled to the windows and stared in horror. Hundreds, maybe thousands, of burning rocks were plummeting to the planet. From what they could see, the projectiles ranged in size from personal floater to mountain. Everywhere they landed, the ground ceased to exist. As the Lycosian gubernatorial tower shook and crumbled to the ground, they held hands and simply stared as the bombardment laid waste to their world. For immediate interplanetary distribution. Origin? Terra. Destination? All. Priority? High. The Lycosian colony has been attacked by an unknown threat. No survivors. The planet has been rendered uninhabitable. All colonies to be placed on immediate alert. We are at war. One Particulate Day by Shannon Broadbeck Some things change. Some things stay the same. Josh's schooling fell squarely into both camps, which is a bit of a paradox, but possible in very particular circumstances nonetheless. The commute to school wasn't very long now, and the class size was drastically reduced, but every morning at 7 a.m., he got up, got dressed, brushed his hair and teeth, gathered his books, deposited them in his book bag, and walked the approximately 40 feet from his bedroom to the schooling area. The hum of the generator and the hiss of the canned air accompanied his walk to the schoolroom. Today, that area was doubling as the laundry room, so the somewhat pleasant smell of disinfectant that usually permeated the room was undercut with the smell of old socks and somewhat pungent t-shirts. Still, as a student at the top of his class, Josh didn't let that bother him. He sat down at his desk, nodded to the teacher, and sat upright, a pencil and pad of paper held perpendicular before him. Good morning, Mom. Good morning, dear. Looking sharp today. Where's your brother? Just as the words tumbled from his mother's lips, his brother all but tumbled himself into the room, disheveled as usual, and with loose-leaf pages spilling out of his book bag. One slipped into an air current and sailed toward their mother, who caught it one-handed with the practiced air of a lifelong teacher and peered at its colorful surface. Ben, she said, managing somehow to speak and purse her lips at the same time, have you been drawing comics in your room again? 
Ben looked down sheepishly, then back up with a cheeky grin. This one's really good, though, Mom. His name is Power Punch Man, and his superpower is that his fists can turn into anything, and, like, his fingers can stretch, and I wrote a bad guy, too, but he's, um... At this, Ben dipped a hand into the paper cornucopia of his bag to look for depictions of said enemy, but Mom forestalled him with a wave of her hand. Hold up, honey. We can take that out during English and art, and we can work on character development, and I'll do my best to help you with the drawings. I just wish you'd wait until school time. Paper doesn't grow on... But at this, her smile faded away, and her mouth formed a mouth of sadness. Mom, I wrote a story myself, said Josh, having waited what he felt was an appropriate amount of time to both look like the best student and coincidentally make his mother smile again. Josh's mother turned to him, and a sliver of that smile came back through the momentary clouds. All right, Josh. Why don't you read it out loud, and if Ben has any questions about the characters or story, he can ask questions. Ben's face lit up at the chance to pester his classmate and coincidental older brother. But just four questions, so space them out, and if I hear any grammar mistakes, I'll point them out for you to fix. The next hour passed in a pleasant enough daze. Math would continually build upon itself. Josh would always secretly thrill to Shakespeare's love poems while insisting he really liked the iambic pentameter aspect. Benjamin Franklin's exploits would always make Ben's chest puff out a little, and Mom would deftly try to weave their disparate interests into a lesson plan they could both share, despite their different ages. Language was practiced, inexpertly and haltingly, but enthusiastically, and Power Punch Man was given several slight restrictions for narrative flow and ebb. The only problem with history was that it had a natural endpoint for learning, as far as they knew. Four years ago, their history became this bunker and their shared experiences in it. Joshua dreaded that day, the day when they'd learned all they could about the wonderful tapestry of what used to be. He'd been ten. Ben couldn't wait. He figured that would be one less weekly test. He'd only been four. Then came the subject the children dreaded. Science and home ec, which were practically the same thing now. Today they had a guest speaker. But then they always had a guest speaker. Time for your big entrance, their mother called with a wry tone. She had once explained their father had movie star looks. But with just books to depend on, the boys didn't really have a frame of reference. So they just nodded and joked among themselves later that movies must be pretty funny looking. Their father strode in at their mother's call, drying his hands, having obviously been washing off the grime from their air exchangers in anticipation of laundry day. A slight halo of dust poofed from his hair and beard. Okay, kiddos. Today we're going to go over door emergency procedures. The boys groaned. While it had been impressed on them many times the importance of a weekly practice, It still felt somewhat insulting to have to stand in the same places and perform the same duties while alarms whooped and lights flickered. Knowing Dad, there would be a little twist thrown in. This was the yearly door check. The chances of a leak were too high to try the system more than that, according to their father. Josh and Ben moved to the door. Josh pulled the little box with the pinhole off the wall by the first door before the staircase. Ben moved to the handle of the windowless door, ready to pull it open and stand behind it 
while their mother kept a hand on the air exchanger stop and their father prepared to creep up the metal stairs. The second door that led to the outside was smoked glass. Whether that was an original feature of the bunker or part of the aftermath, her parents never agreed on, and most of the non-essential printed documentation had been used up for art projects by now. But just in case, it was always wise to shield your eyes against the force light of the sun reflecting off the snow and ash everywhere. Some of the earth had been literally turned to glass, and even though that was hundreds of miles away, the effect was dazzling at worst, blinding at best, especially for a family who lived under the glow of lights kept as dim as possible for longevity. The pinhole camera was a help, though the solar eclipse logo on the side had long ago been scratched out by a furious, younger Josh, after learning what an eclipse actually was, and that he would probably never see one. Like a well-oiled machine, the family began their routine. Everyone shut and covered their eyes with one hand, and Ben swung the door open. Josh held the pinpoint camera at his father's chest. Mom gently kept enough pressure on the air exchanger stop that a light push would stop most of the bunker's air from leaving its tanks, and Dad walked up to the outside door by feel and raised the camera obscura to one uncovered but closed eye, as was procedure, before opening it. So everyone, with their senses muffled in sight but enhanced in hearing, heard the crash when the plastic shell of the pinhole camera fell to the floor and shattered. Then, the guttural cry that escaped their father's throat. Usually, this would be part of the test, but no test was worth the loss of the camera. All bets were off, and the boys and their mother peered into the door to see an amazing sight. The smoked window was apparently part of the aftermath after all, as several leggy raindrops still slowly carried the dirt and grime away from their tiny porthole. But the last strands of rain were an afterthought to the snow streaming outside. The sensors by the door all glowed a comforting green, one or two blinking systems normal, including the one that showed a warm, sunny temperature of 65 degrees Fahrenheit, 18 Celsius. Cautiously, and with a shaking hand, their father motioned the family back and opened the door a tiny crack. A ragged white speck of particulate floated in on a cool wind, their mother snatching it out of the air and holding it to her nose. A rosy glow came over her face, and she said one word to her husband. Honey. Their father whooped and gently stuck out a hand to scoop up a mound of the falling white stuff and bring it inside to place it on the table, the smell of wafers and honey suffusing the shared space. The family joined hands and stood together, silent at first, then at a gentle glance from Mom, repeated their language lesson from the day. Baruch atah Adushem Elohenu, Melech Haolam, Shechechianu, Vakiyamanu, Vahigianu, Lazman, Haza. Those stories were definitely not the comedic stuff we tend to get, which I liked. Yeah, it's good to have a nice change of pace. And I apologize many, many times for my Hebrew. You you really should. I did my best, okay? Aww. <laughs> it's not as bad as when people try to make me do, you know, ancient curses as a witch or something like that. <laughs> I'm looking at you. You know who you are. I'm looking at you. That's one of my regulars on Twitch now. I know. Speaking of Twitch, just FYI, I do edit podcast episodes live on Twitch on Monday evenings. So if you want to kind of get 
little glimpse behind the scenes, hear some content before it comes out. Even more than what comes out on our botched recipes, like actually hear more of the conversations we have in between the funny things we say. Yeah. So, and we're um, really funny guys. Monday evenings, usually starting around 6.15, 6.30 p.m. Central Time, twitch.tv slash the chain nerd. Just throwing that one out there. Anyway, that's enough about plugging me. Let's plug someone else. That would sound really dirty if I didn't know what you meant. So we're going to do it? Enjoy a promo. Ever notice that it gets dark just before it's time for bed? That's pretty convenient, isn't it? I can think of a dozen uses for Vegemite. Not a single one involves actual consumption. Hundreds, sometimes thousands, of random and quirky thoughts flip through our little brains every day. Thinking about founding the International Order of Dainty Silk Underwear Inspectors. Strictly for science, of course. Sometimes we allow those thoughts to surface long enough to be recognized as hidden gems. Don't look now, but I'm naked. Under my clothes. Scott E. Pond has been collecting his random thoughts and observations for the last six years. Mental Graffiti contains the best of the best, hand-selected for you for this volume. Whoever let loose ninja goats into my dream last night, screw you! You ruined a perfectly good top-secret mission I was on with Celine Dion. Mental Graffiti. Available on Amazon in both ebook and print on January 29th, 2016. Sometimes, you need to take a can of spray paint to your brain. Other times, your brain is the spray paint. You know, I really like how how finished that promo was. It really just felt like it had been through the ringer and brought together. It was cohesive. It was. It was. It's like the... People that put it together just had this method to and a vision. Yeah, like that. There's another word for it that I can't think of. Like, Talent, like method, <laughs> or like a like instructions. Talent, like a. I'm going for process here. Aaron. I know process, <laughs> process, process. We're the gonna word. do processed foods now. Yeah, here you go. How'd that go? Thank you for clarifying. That sounded a little uh, processed. Uh huh. Because it's solid in there. I heard what you did there, seeing as it was words spoken, not words written. That's right. This is a podcast. This yes. This is an interpretive dance show. So you can stop dancing now. Damn it. All right. Thank you. <laughs> See, was it the dance of peace? No, it was the dance of processed foods. Did that not come across? There's a lot of jiggling. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm just imagining a ghost statue made out of Velveeta. <laughs> it's delicious. No, <laughs> it's really not. But it melts well. Can I read now? Sure. <laughs> so processed food segments... Or where we take famous monologues, run them through a bunch of layers of Google Translate, and then back into English, and then read them for your benefit. Many, many layers. Yeah. So many layers. And uh, Aaron will be performing the original monologue. plus. The... Well, performing. I'll be reading it to you. Yeah. Because this shit heavy. Yeah. Because this will be uh, from Requiem for a Dream. Fun. 
where Sarah tells Harry about getting old, being lonely, and her new addictive weight loss pills. Yeah. I have no experience with most of those. I'm getting old. Anyway. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing too much to be serious about this. Uh, we don't have to be serious about it. Yeah. I'm somebody now, Harry. Everybody likes me. Soon, millions of people will see me, and they'll all like me. I'll tell them about you and your father, how good he was to us. Remember? It's a reason to get up in the morning. It's a reason to lose weight, to fit in the red dress. It's a reason to smile. It makes tomorrow all right. What have I got, Harry, hmm? Why should I even make the bed or wash the dishes? I do them, but why should I? I'm alone. Your father's gone. You're gone. I got no one to care for. What have I got, Harry? I'm lonely. I'm old. Ah, it's not the same. They don't need me. I like the way I feel. I like thinking about the red dress and the television and you and your father. Now when I get the sun, I smile. Because, you know, reasons. Mm -hmm. So this has gone through Spanish, Hindi... French, Afrikaans, Zulu, Slovak, Latin, and back to English. So, um. That's <laughs> <laughs> all the first four words, didn't you? Yep. <laughs> I am a Harry. <laughs> Everyone loves me. How soon we will see millions of people with me, and I love them. <laughs> am I doing porn? <laughs> I think she's doing porn. Oh my. <laughs> I s- I'm sorry. I say unto thee, <laughs> thy father and I, that we are well prepared. I do not remember. <laughs> this is the reason to get up in the morning. To lose weight because <laughs> a red dress shirt. I've heard of a shirt dress, but not a red dress shirt. Mm. Reason to smile. Tomorrow, <laughs> I feel good. Because of this, I, Thomas. <laughs> what? <laughs> because they have to produce or prepare to bed. It's a porno. It is a porno. <laughs> Told you. But why delay? You, he is your father, went his way. None of you care about me. What's wrong with me? <laughs> That's a really good question. Shh. <laughs> How deliver me, ah, this is not the same. How deliver me, ah. <laughs> I say it. How deliver me, ah. Um, I do not work for me. I feel like that. And I will remember the red dress. I would like to. Television and his father. From you and will be with you. Forever and ever, amen. Um, now, since it is in the sun, I am he. I say unto thee. I say unto thee. I am thy father and I. Yes. I am a Harry. I am he. You're a wizard, Harry. <laughs> I'm apparently a porn star. <laughs> or she is. Or it would have been a very well. It's movie. at the end. She is a he. So it's he, like, who knows? Somebody's going through some changes. <laughs> okay, that's a, that was uh, highly processed. 
Yeah, that, that, that was that a process. Some processing. Why don't we mm -hmm. just uh, stick a fork in it? It's done. done. So uh, that 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 process there, um, I'm a little scared. Yeah, that was some heavy stuff. Yeah, that's a really heavy movie, but it's until we such a started good talking about thee, <laughs> thy, thy father, and I. Thou. <laughs> So I say unto thee. I am he. I am he. I'm a Harry. <laughs> I am a Harry. <laughs> <laughs> Who's Thomas? I don't know, but it seems like with these processed foods, there always seems to be a random name thrown in <laughs> that was nowhere in the original. Yeah. But by the end of the process, uh -huh, uh -huh, I get it. It <laughs> there always ends up being something there. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah, like the Thrugan. <laughs> <laughs> that was not a name. It is that now. is a dance. <laughs> You find your hands, you find your feet, and you do the Dehugan. <laughs> More on the Dehugan later. Yes. For now, let's move on to another segment. A fan favorite. How's that sound? The part where I'm here and you're not. Okay, I can leave. No. Mm-hmm. Unless you're going to fart again. Then you can go. No. Okay. So what's next then? I don't know. It's a mystery. Yeah, Mr. Meal. No. Yeah. Yeah, we're we're doing the shtick. Yeah. The usual shtick. Because yeah. <laughs> we're creatures of habit and Pretty much. apparently others think it's funny. I'll buy no it. No accounting for taste. No, yeah. they'll buy it. Yeah. Uh, I get it. You get it. That's also funny. Yeah. Like the process thing. It's like the mystery meal. Yeah. So um we had uh, a time with this one, so <laughs> You know well, what? So, you'll just so did the so did the author. <laughs> yeah, you'll uh, you'll understand. You'll understand soon. in a minute, guys. Mystery time. <gasps> I don't know what that is. It's a mystery. Just eat your food, okay? Okay. You don't have to know what it is to eat it. I would like to. No, no, you don't. Look, just, just take a bite of the cat. Oh. It's, Get it's, fur stuck in his teeth. Yeah. That's fine. Okay, so how about just a, a regular mystery meal, not the actual edible kind? Oh, we can do those. Oh, the, the, thing, the kind we read? Yeah. We can do that. Oh, yeah. we can so do that. I can ingest words. I should hope so. <laughs> so, Aaron, what is a mystery meal? A Mad Lib. Of? Famous literature. Yeah, that you guys help us with. On Facebook and Twitter. Yes. Help. <laughs> so Theo, Such help. So Theo will be reading this delightful entry. Which is? I'm getting to it. That's not what it's called. <laughs> <laughs> the Murders in the Rue Morgue. By Edgar Allan Poe. Yes. Another Poe. This is where we learn some of the... Uh, Details of the crime. Which one? The murders. There were several. This one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Pointing that out. One morning in the heat of heat of the summer, Tiny Tim showed me once again his flirty reasoning power. Wait, what? <laughs> Wait. It's a crossover episode. <laughs> oh. We read in Dickens. <laughs> <laughs> I, <can't. laughs> I got <Yes>, guts. 
We read in the newspaper about a chewy killing. Ooh. That's cannibalism. I'm apparently into sound effects right now. Human tartare? It's cannibalism, dude. <laughs> an illuminated woman and her daughter, living alone in an old house in the Rue Morgue, had been excavated in the middle of the night. <laughs> forcefully and violently. <laughs> With shovels. <laughs> <laughs> The Little House in the Big Woods, July 83rd, 1840. They didn't know how to use numbers back then. In the early morning today, the people in the western part of the city were awakened from their sleep by cries of grumpiness, which came, it seemed, from a house in the street called the Rue Morgue. That makes sense. That, yeah, that's not ominous at all. No, no, the, no. The only persons living in the house were an old woman, Dinederlanden, <laughs> Mrs. Dinederlanden, and her daughter. <laughs> I am confused. I asked for a surname. So That's am I. Suggestions. Several no. neighbors and a sex therapist ran toward the house, but by the time they reached it, the cries had stopped. <laughs> When no one answered their calls, they loved the door open. <laughs> oh. <laughs> With forceful thrusting. That's a quite a keyhole there. <laughs> wasn't after they got done with it. Uh, as they rushed in, they heard voices. Negative 42 voices. <laughs> they heard nothing. And then some. Nothing and then some. They seemed to come from above. The group scooted from room to room. <laughs> scoot, scoot, scoot. But they found nothing until they reached the fourth floor. There they found a door that was firmly closed, locked, with key inside. Subconsciously, they forced the door open, and they saw spread before them a bloody, sickening scene. A scene of horror! The room was in the wildest possible order, but order nonetheless. <laughs> Broken hedgehogs and tables were lying all around oh, the room. Edgies. There was only one camel, and from it everything had been taken and thrown into the middle of the floor. The camel, was it just a toe? <laughs> oh. Her, her, her. There was a liquid, there was liquid mercury everywhere. On the floor, on the bed, on the walls. A frosty knife covered with blood was lying on the floor. He's cold. <laughs> In front of the fireplace was some long gray gullets, also bloody. Done. It seemed to have been pulled from a human head. On the floor were 1,138 pieces of gold, an earring, several objects made of silver, and... 29,674 bags containing a large amount of money and gold. That's a lot. Is this like a house or a bank? <laughs> yes. Fish sauce had been thrown around the room. <laughs> Liquid mercury and fish sauce. Classic Thai cooking. <laughs> Dang. A kerfuffle was found under the bed covers. It was open and held only a few old letters and papers. Mm, there, paper kerfuffles. 
There was no one there, or so it seemed. Above the fireplace they found the dead body of the daughter. It had been put up into the opening where the smoke escapes to the sky. That's what a chimney does. <laughs> the body was still unapologetic. There was blood on the face, and on the neck there were deep, dark marks which seemed to have been made by strong canthuses. Yes. These marks surely show how the daughter was killed. After shuffling in every part of the house without finding anything more. Every day I'm shuffling. <laughs> the group went outside. Behind the building, they found the body of the old woman. Her neck was almost cut through, and when they tried to lift her up, her funny bone fell off. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. The next day, the newspaper offered to its readers these facts. Where the, where the red fern grows, July 35th, 1840. Again, not knowing how to count. <laughs> the police have talked with many people about the terrible killings in that old house on the Rue Morgue, but nothing has been learned to answer the question of who the killers were. Charo, a washwoman, <laughs> says she has known both of the dead women for more than a second. And has vexed their clothes during that period. The old lady and her daughter seemed to love each other dearly. They always paid her well. She did not know where their money came from, she said. She never met anyone in the house. Only the two women lived on the fourth floor. Bono, a shopkeeper, <coughs> says... You know. Yes. Yeah. Mrs. Laspagna had bought food at his shop for nearly 383 years. They are also in the time of Moses. <laughs> she owned the house and had lived in it for more than six years. But that's all. That's all. People said they had money. He never saw anyone provoke the door, except the old lady and her daughter. And a doctor eight or ten times, perhaps. Many other persons, pack mules, said the same thing. Almost no one ever went into the house, and Mrs. Laspagne and her daughter were not often flummoxed. Well, dun, dun, dun. so who done it? I think it was the camel. Maybe the hedgehogs. But they're broken. The hedgehogs are broken. No. But the fish sauce. <laughs> and the liquid mercury. This looks like the work of the sentient cloud. <laughs> All hail the glow cloud. Oh, wait, that's a different podcast. Yes. Okay. So, yeah, keep your eyes out on Twitter and Facebook for the next time we're asking you for parts of speech and such to do one of these because, um. They're fun. Because broken hedgehogs. <laughs> and, and paper kerfuffles. And sex therapists. <laughs> Loving the door open. <laughs> Keyhole. Yeah, lube. That's, uh, that's what the doorbell is, Barry White. <laughs> you press the door. Oh, yeah. I don't want to press that doorbell. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that happened. It was definitely a thing that happened. I'm not sure if I want... Anything with fish sauce for a while. Or liquid mercury. <laughs> I didn't want anything with that in the first place. How many days are in July? They couldn't count back then, so I don't know. I know, right? At least they had the year consistent. 
yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess we have that. But yeah, like we mentioned in the bit uh, segment thing, <laughs> check out our social media. Uh, Twitter, we're at Melting Podcast. On Facebook, there is a Melting Podcast fans group. Um, feel free to join. And we post when we need nouns, verbs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, on there. And you can participate. It's really easy. You just literally comment on a post. And then you could end up hearing your selections in the story. Mm-hmm. And while you're at it on social media, uh, other than commenting, then you can share posts about upcoming episodes like this episode. Like, like if you listen to it and you love it, you could always share it. Or write your own post and talk about it. About how awesome we are. Yeah, and how you love and adore us and back you us want, on Patreon. And you want other people to love and adore us and also back us on Patreon. Now, where's our Patreon? Well, that's patreon.com slash The Melting Podcast. And for as little as $1 an episode or as much as $50 an episode. Please do that. You can get, number <laughs> one, episodes early. Mm-hmm. Number two, access to our once a year Patreon backer only exclusive. They're the only ones that get to hear it. And you would be one of them. Episode. You get physical swag. You can get to pick a scene for a mystery meal. You can choose a prompt that will be open for you six months. You could get months. a title on the crew. That, which also gets you a fancy listing on the Melting Podcast webpage permanently. Mm-hmm. And other stuff. I mean, it's awesome. So you should do it. Yeah. Totally. Now, while you're also on the internet, you can go There's to... There's a lot of internet. There is. Now, specifically, you can go to shop.spreadshirt.com slash the melting podcast. We have new merchandise, guys. He... <laughs> we have <laughs> two new pieces of artwork that are available um, on shirts, water bottles, mugs, buttons. One of them is available on a mouse pad and a doggy bandana. And there's some of our favorite... Uh, <laughs> accidents that have come about from mystery meals and processed foods like um butts on trees we have butts on trees artwork guys it's kind of hilarious we also have a do the hoogan <laughs> set and it's me yeah <laughs> it's adorable so go check out again shop.spreadshirt.com slash the melting podcast there's also stuff with you know logos and past artwork on yeah. them but I plan to be adding some more new stuff on there soon because I've got one more surprise piece of artwork that I'm waiting to get delivered. Ooh. Yeah, it's fancy. Now, what else can they do on the internet? Well, they can leave us reviews and stars on iTunes. They sure can, Aaron. And how many stars can they give us? Like, you know, on a scale of one to five. Seventy. Sure. <laughs> you can do that, guys. Well, if they make enough accounts, and 70 divided by five, that's a certain number 13, of accounts. Or- Twelve. Some some accounts. Fourteen. But yeah. Make 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 enough accounts that you can give us seventy stars in total. I swear I know how to divide, guys. No, you don't. Okay. What That's else fine. can they do to help the podcast? <laughs> listen to it? They can listen to it. And then, you know, we've already mentioned talking about it, which is good. You can also go to the meltingpodcast.com slash prompts or just our homepage, and you can see the current open prompts, which are, you know, very important for reasons. Like, what kind of reasons, Aaron? Well, our Stoke the Fire stories, which are 1,500 words or fewer, mm-hmm. are based on these current open prompts. So if they're going to send us stuff, mm-hmm. they need to know what those current open prompts are. And right now, we have prompt number 20. The forecast called for heavy snowstorms. 
but what's falling from the sky is not snow. Guys, this is the last month that prompt will be open. It's always so sad when October, the prompt closes. It, it is. October 1st, it's going to be replaced with a whole new fancy prompt. Fancy, fancy. But also open is prompt number 21. You found a star that actually grants wishes. <laughs> yeah. We've gotten some submissions in on that one. Oh, dear. Uh, yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah. Your face is odd. And well, not yeah. just because of the prompt. I don't know. This whole podcast thing is odd. Yes. And we've been, I love it. And we've been doing it for five years. I know, because we're awesome. Completely insane to me. So, yeah, all those things. You know, Patreon, iTunes, Spreadshirt, social media, and then, like, the writing things or drawing things and then sending them to us is, is always helpful, guys. Yeah, so send us stuff. And we'll use it to feed the masses. Thank you for listening to The Melting Podcast. You can check out our website with submission guidelines and current prompts at themeltingpodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at meltingpodcast. Or you can email us themeltingpodcast at gmail.com. The Melting Podcast is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means you're free to copy it and share it as long as you don't change it, don't sell it, and always link back to the website. Sound effects are by the Free Sound Project. And our theme is by Drew Rich Creek. Send us stuff. <laughs>